Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the Internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Hey, guys, welcome to the Left of Straight Show. It is Friday, April 24th, 2020. I'm your host, Scott Fullerton. We are on day five of five with our first full week of Left of Straight shows. Thanks so much for tuning in. We've had huge listenership this past week as we go to five days during Corona quarantine. So, yeah, it's been a great time. I want to thank you guys all for listening in. I've really enjoyed bringing all these great interviews that we've had this past week and letting you listen to some great people. Um, This week so far, I've interviewed singers Kim Cameron, Jay Mack, Crystal Beverly, LGBT and political activists Duke Mason and Fred Carter, actors Jay Rodriguez and Bruce Hart, writer-director-producer Billy Clift, actor-model and fitness instructor Jake Dean Taylor, and artist and painter-visual artist Paul Richmond. Today I have two more great interviews for you today. They're great activists in our community, each coming from it at a little different of an angle. Up first in just a couple minutes is Carson Jones. Carson came to my attention when his father, Doug, became the very first Democrat in 25 years to win the U.S. Senate seat from the state of Alabama. He took over Jeff Sessions' seat when he left to be attorney general. Uh, Carson was out to his family and friends when his dad and his profile rose when he was running for office. He began speaking and being an activist for the community, all the while doing his day job as a zookeeper, training and taking care of the Birmingham Zoo's elephants. So I had a great interview with Carson uh, last week. And so I'm bringing that to you today. He's just a great guy, and I'm looking to see great things from him. And then for my second interview today, I have Andy Dugan. Andy was born and raised just down the road from me where I'm at here in Youngstown, Ohio. He became a lawyer, and he's using his job to advocate for our LGBT community, being part of the very first law clinic for the nonprofit organization here, Equality Ohio. Quality Ohio has done such great works in our state here for LGBTQ rights, and Andy helped get this law clinic off the ground. There's an office in Columbus and in Cleveland, and we're having a discussion about LGBT laws in general across the country and that pertain to Ohio. Very interesting, a couple of COVID-19 specific laws. So it's a great program and a great way to reach out and find out your rights in the community here. So both these chats I had last week, so I was very excited to talk to them. Uh, Of course, I come to you live every day opening, and I'll close that up live. 
and I'll start these two interviews in just a couple of minutes. A couple of quick notes I wanted to before I uh, started the interviews. Uh, I was a little disappointed today. Not a little. I was a lot disappointed today. As the U.S. passes just about 50,000 deaths from COVID-19, the Trump administration has quietly moved forward with a rule that we talked about last year. It makes it easier for doctors to refuse to treat transgender patients. Um, Political reports that the new Department of Health Human Services rule that would remove an Obama-era transgender protection was circulated around the Department of Justice yesterday, one of the final steps before publicly releasing the rule. The White House also updated a website to say that the Obama rule is under review. So we talked about this last year on the show, that the Trump administration was rolling back all these rights for transgender that Obama had put in place. And this is just another part of it where doctors can now refuse to treat them, even with COVID-19 going on right now. So it's just another reason to get these guys out of office in November, guys. Uh, Also on a sad note, um, the bodies of two transgender women have been found inside a badly burned car in Puerto Rico. Uh, You know that I have a cousin that lives in Puerto Rico. Uh, At least eight LGBTQ people have been killed on the island lately. It's an epidemic of violence, according to anti-LGBT or to local activist Pedro Julio Serrano. So they haven't seen this type of violence in the quantity for a very long time, probably about 10 years. So we need to see what's going on there in Puerto Rico um, for our LGBTQ citizens as well. So those were two notes I wanted to bring to you on a not great note, a sad note, but I have two positive notes I want to bring on to you as well. Um, We're going to be going five days a week again next week, and I'll tell you about all of our guests at the end of the show but one of the interviews I did today, actually, is going to play next week, was with Rachel Mason. And Rachel has a brand new documentary that just was released on Netflix two days ago called Circle of Books. And it's a documentary about her family's business called Circus of Books in West Hollywood. And <laughs> her mom and dad, a nice Jewish straight couple, uh, ran the biggest iconic gay bookstore and porn memorabilia store in the city of West Hollywood since 1982 until they closed last year. It's an amazing documentary. I have a little bit of history with there. It was one of the first places I went to when I uh, was exploring being gay and coming to terms with it. As you all know, I grew up in Southern California and I would drive from my hometown in West Covina to West Hollywood and Circle of Books was the very first um, gay magazine I found and the very first gay DVD I ever bought was a Circus of Books. So it has a little relevance to me, but it's an amazing documentary. It's trending right now. It's both popular and trending on Netflix. So if you can look for this excellent documentary, it's just surprising in so many ways. And tomorrow, we're going to try to get it trending by using the hashtag circle of books. So you'll be seeing on my social media doing that. And I'm going to encourage all of you to do the same again. My social media is at left of straight on Twitter and Instagram. That's at L E F T O F S T R and the number eight, the way I always spell it. And on uh, Facebook, it's the left of straight show 
And my personal Facebook page is Scott Fullerton. It is public. You can send me a friend request there. But tomorrow we're going to try to get Circle of Books trending on Instagram and Twitter. So if you want to help spread that, I would appreciate it. Um, It's pretty exciting. And while I was talking to Rachel today, I found out about another documentary coming out in October about one of the old clubs I used to hang out with in West Hollywood called Studio One. And there you have a new documentary called Studio One Forever. That was sort of like the Studio 54 of New York. This was LA's answer to it back in the day. So they're having, I'm going to be able to talk to those people as well. So very interesting documentaries coming down the pike, but go look for Circle of Books right now on Netflix. And speaking of West Hollywood, we are doing our second Sunday Funday Telethon this Sunday, streaming live from 3 to 5 p.m. Pacific time, uh, 6 to 8 p.m. here at Eastern time. This is the event that I've been part of that's raising money to help support the workers, the bartenders, the servers, and the entertainers for the West Hollywood um, LGBT Entertainment District there. Last, in a two-week period, we raised twenty over $22,000. Last Sunday in our two-hour telethon, we raised over $7,000 in two hours. We had Lance Bass calling in. I had a couple of my friends from the show do little videos for it. We had one of the Real Housewives of Orange County put in a little video. So, yeah, that is happening this Sunday from 3 to 5. If you go on Facebook, you'll see it streaming from my page, Scott Fullerton, and also DJ um, Ryan Scott Kenny is the DJ for the event. And he'll have it on his page along with, I think, Butter the Drag Queen is one of the hostesses, and Kyle Langan is is a host as well. So just look for that this weekend. If you can donate a five, all they're asking is like a $5 tip, like you tip a bartender if you went out over the weekend. And we're raising money to help uh, get these guys to pay some bills and uh, things like that in West Hollywood. So that's all I have. Uh, Lots of information out there. I appreciate you guys all doing what you can. I hope you are holding up well. As you all know, the quarantine is slowly coming to an end in different places. As you all know, Georgia today opened back up the hair salons, bowling alleys, tattoo artists, um, some weird and wild. And I think on Monday, they're going to be opening movie theaters and restaurants, different places. Some parts of Florida have opened the beaches. Uh, A lot of the bigger cities are not opening for another week to two weeks, but things are starting to reopen. It's going to be a little scary to see what happens if we see a lot of cases return. But be careful and be safe out there if you live in any of these areas and you're allowed to go back in public. Remember, the hardest part is carrying the disease and not getting sick and giving it to others. I have to be very careful. I home health care for my 81-year-old mom, as you all know. And so I go out and do all the shopping and do whatever and go out and do my life, my business. And I have to be real careful that I don't bring something home for it, not know I could be totally asymptomatic and give something to my 81-year-old mother that has diabetes that's in the high-risk group. So it's really important if you go out there, if your state is opening up and you're allowed to go out, please be thoughtful of others. Wear masks if you can. Still keep your social distance. Uh, Try to keep those six feet apart. Just be healthy out there, guys. I want to have you around for a long time, and I appreciate you listening to the show. Let's go ahead and jump into these two interviews. Like I said, up 
first is going to be Carson Jones, um, amazing zookeeper by day, LGBTQ activist by night. And then immediately after that, we're going to play my interview with Andy Dugan from Equality, Ohio. So two great interviews today. We'll start off with a little bit of music, and we'll come back with Carson Jones. I will wrap everything up live at the end, talk to you about some of the amazing guests I have coming next week where we do five more all-new interview shows next Monday through Friday. So, guys, thanks for listening. It's a straight show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. Tell your friends.
Girls, we are back. That was Cameron Hawthorne with his newest single, Oh Hot Damn. If you missed Cameron's interview last week, be sure to check that out in the Left and Straight Show archives. Guys, I'm excited to have my next guest on. It's his first but hopefully not last here to the Left and Straight Show. He is a zookeeper by day and multi-hyphenate advocate, speaker, and son of a politician, plus so much more by night. His dad made history by winning a Democratic U.S. Senate seat in Alabama against a pretty well-known or maybe notorious opponent back in 2017. And he has made quite a name for himself, both from the side-eye viewed around the world, which we'll talk about, and also his great social media, his appearances, and beyond. I can't wait to talk to him about this crazy journey most of us just call life he's been living. Please welcome to the show for the first time. Mr. Carson Jones. Carson, how the heck are you, buddy? Pretty good. How are you? Thanks so much for having me on tonight. It is my pleasure. I'm glad to talk to you. Like I said off air, I've been a fan for quite a while. Let's start off with how are you faring during Corona 2020? I imagine caring for our animals is essential service. You've been working and everything, or how you how you holding up? Yep, yep. So I'm, I'm lucky that I get to go to work. Um, we kind of changed things around a little bit. So for our animal care staff, our, our teams have been split. Um, so in case one team was to get sick, we have no contact with, with the other team. So that other team could just kind of step in and, and do all the day-to-day care um, through it if oh, we great. needed to. So, yeah, we're working four 10-hour days. So it's, it's some longer days with the same group of folks every day. So we're trying to get <laughs> on in each other's nerves a little bit. Um but I'm, right. I'm happy that I can keep working and get out of the house a little bit to do that. Um, all the Joneses are under one one roof right now, which could be the death of us all, but we'll find out. <laughs> um, so it's, you, it's a lot of people in one space, <laughs> but we're, we're we're trying to cook and, you know, do some things together and, uh, and ride it out best we can, just like everyone else. There you go. I am quarantining in with my 81-year-old mother, and so far we have not killed each other, <laughs> and it's, it's a good thing. So I, I hear you there. Um, your governor, Ivy, was a little late to the party and shutting things down, but it sounds like uh, you guys are staying safe and healthy and everything. Yeah, we, we are. Um, the, the state government was, was definitely a, a little bit behind um, in, in some of their response, um, but they they've been picking up the pace for sure. Um, Dad's been out there trying to do a lot of PSAs and just getting information out, out to folks about what they need to do and how they can stay safe and, and how seriously to take this. You know, I think, you know, we're right. here in Alabama. We're not in New York where there's, you know, unfortunately thousands of deaths. So I think people here are a little bit unsure as to really how seriously to take all of this because they see it on the news, but it's not impacting them, you know, uh, directly yet. So we're really just trying to talk to people about how important it is to, to stay home and, and to really um, take this whole thing seriously. Great. I mean, I am a true blue Democrat all the way, been for many years, but I have to say I'm in Northeast Ohio and our governor DeWine has done a pretty good job of locking things down early and some good information out there. So I think that's just the most important thing. We really have to pay attention. This is a, a once in a lifetime experience for most of us. And uh, it's it's a little crazy out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it, it was crazy just driving home from work today because, you know, it's, it's a Wednesday. And, and I drive through this little area of town that we call Mountain Brook Village. And um, normally, you know, there's out, people out running and people, you know, going to the shops and doing stuff. And it's just deserted. There's just no one, you know. And it's, it's wow. so strange, yeah. you know. 
Um, but it's it's good that people are, are singing and, and doing the things that they need to do to stay safe. There you go. Well, your first time on the show, I'd like to get a little background, even though you have a little bit of a public persona. Give me, uh, my listeners, an idea. Where did you grow up? What kind of a kid were you? And what was the first thing you wanted to be when you grew up? <laughs> well, um, I'm from Alabama. I'm, I'm from Birmingham. Um, I lived here until I, I went off to school, and then after school I ended up coming back. And um, <laughs> I was the kid that worked all the time. That's that's what I did. So from the age of 13, I started working at the zoo uh, and, and volunteered a ton until I got paid jobs and just was always busy and always active and doing that kind of stuff. I've always wanted to be a zookeeper. My, most people, you know, they, they have this career that they tell their parents they want to be when they grow up when they're really little, and, and their parents kind of, like, laugh it off because they, they assume it'll change, and that's pretty normal. <laughs> and my parents did the same thing. But then when I started looking looking at schools and really talking to them, and they're like, wait, this is this is really what you want to do. And I was like, yep, this is, this is really what I want to do. You know, then I <laughs> went to the University of Georgia, and I, I think that it's still kind of, took a while for it to click with them uh, about what I wanted to do and, and how passionate I was for it. And then it wasn't really until I, I worked at a little tiny place called Bear Hollow Wildlife Trail and, and was training black bears there, and they got to come and, and watch me work with the bears. And I, I think that was the moment that it finally clicked for them, that this dream that I've been talking about since I was two, you know, we, we, we could really make this happen, and this is what I really loved and what I was passionate about. So um, I really – only ever investigated doing uh, being a zookeeper. <laughs> I love when yeah. you get to live your dreams, though. That's kind of cool. And uh, the good days outweigh the bad. I hope. I'm sure no job is perfect, but but how do you like uh, how do you like the job overall? <laughs> no job is perfect for sure. I, I mean, I think when you you're really excited about something and you volunteer, you, your motivations for for doing it are, are a little bit different than when you got up and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to work again. <laughs> um, and then I get in and I, I, I see the boys. We we have um, three male elephants um, in Birmingham that I work with. And, you know, I, I get a good training session in and I, I kind of like, you know, fall back in love with it again. It's kind of interesting. I, I've been doing this for a while. And, you know, one thing that I'm really personally starting to kind of gain an interest in is, is not just how do we take care of animals and, and how to animal, we, we provide environments for animals to thrive but how do we provide environments for their, their caretakers to, to thrive? Because if the people taking care of the animals are thriving, then the animals are thriving. So I'm starting to right. kind of ask a lot of those questions and reading a lot of leadership books and listening to podcasts and doing all those types of things and really trying to kind of see like, okay, like I fell in love with working with animals and, and inspiring, you know, passion um, for animals and, and for, um, you know, wild places. But how do I maybe do that on a, a little bit of a, um, a scale that impacts people a little bit more directly? So we'll see. Who knows? Love Never thought that That's I would fantastic. enjoy working with people just as much as I enjoy working with animals, even though people are a lot more frustrating. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> that is a true <laughs> statement right there. And you've really gone all over. I mean, I think I read you went to Australia and worked at a zoo there, and you've done, like you said, both Denver and back in Alabama. So you've really kind of – um, experience a lot in it, right? Yeah, I, I've been really lucky. So, I, I mean, I was at the Birmingham Zoo from the time I was 13 until I was 18. Uh, and then I went to a little place in Georgia and came back to Birmingham. And then I went to Australia. I was at um, the Australia Zoo in uh, Brisbane, or 
just north of Brisbane um, in Queensland, which was um, an amazing experience. You know, I, I grew up watching the Crocodile Hunter as a kid and, and really, right. you know, fallen in love with this career because of that and because of him. And so to work, you know, there for, for three months and to meet the people and to see the spaces and, and everything was really, really incredible. Um, you know, to, to watch, they have this big amphitheater that they call the Crocosseum because they, they bring the, <laughs> the crocodiles in and they, they feed them and everything there. And, and to walk out, you know, there um, in the Crocosseum where, you know, he used to do um, demonstrations and stuff was just really, really special. And then after there, I, I went to Denver. I was out there getting my master's in, in zoo and aquarium management and worked with their elephants um, and uh, Toyota Elephant Passage and helped uh, put that herd together. They manage only male elephants there. And came back to Birmingham, and that's that's what we do as well. We have male African elephants, and they have uh, male Asian elephants. So it's a, a pretty cool special thing that I've been uh, very fortunate to be a part of. Very, very cool. I love that. And now, is there any animals that you kind of gravitate to? Is there anyone that you say, um, I'm not going in that cage? What Do you have preferences? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think every zookeeper does. Um, I really I wanted to work with tigers when I was a little kid. That's like the animal that I – fell in love with. We had these two tigers in Birmingham, Mochi and Kumar. So they were definitely my, my special boys. But then, you know, I, I got exposure to working with a lot of different things. I've worked with everything from orangutans and gibbons and small primates uh, up to elephants and rhinos and hippos and zebra and giraffe and ambassador animals, which are all the kind of little small guys that we can take out for public programs and and for shows and demonstrations and things like that. Um, I really like smart animals. I really like animals that can, that can train nice. and you get to engage their minds. Um, so orangutans and elephants and actually pigs. Those are my those are my top three. Pigs are super smart and really, really fun to work with. I've heard that. I didn't know they were fun to work with, but I heard they were very smart. That's really <laughs> yeah. cool. And is there a favorite zoo that you – uh, would like to go work with a certain set of animals or anything you've heard about or any place you'd like to go that you haven't been to yet? Oh, I mean, there's tons of places that I, I want to visit that I haven't been to yet. I've been been really lucky. I've been to a lot of zoos in North America. I've been to a number of zoos in Australia when I was there, which was really awesome. But, I, I mean, I want to go see, uh, see animals in the wild, too. I haven't really done that yet. I haven't been on safari in Africa. I have a friend that works in Nepal and does stuff with greater one-horned rhinos and Asian elephants there. So I'm, I'm trying to build my network so that I can go all the places and, and see all the things. <laughs> Very nice. I like it. I like it a lot. Let's change gears a little bit here. Um, I want to talk about everyone has a coming out story. I want to know where your journey began. When did you first come out to yourself? And then who was the first person you told? Ooh, see, I don't, I don't really have like a signature coming out moment. Um, for me, you know, I didn't really have a lot of people in my life growing up that I knew that they were gay. Okay. I didn't really have a lot of exposure to it. And, and so it's actually working at the zoo that I met, you know, a, a number of people that were gay. There's so many gay zookeepers. <laughs> it was a whole group. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> So, you know, I, I met a number of people that were gay at the zoo, and I think it was more of this kind of, like, slow self-realization process. You know, I was really lucky. I never really struggled with it or, or you know, worried about it or anything. But it, it was just kind of this, like, slow dawning that happened over time. And, um, you know, I had this one friend that was 
you know, definitely a little, he was a little out there and um, I didn't really know what to do with him. And at, at the beginning, and cause he was just so different than any, anyone I had met before. And um, now he likes to say that his claim to fame is that he burned my closet to the ground. Um, <laughs> okay. But, That's a story. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it was, it was kind of a, a slow realization process. I think by the time I was 17, 17, probably about to turn 18, like I knew. And, um, gotcha. then I didn't really, I didn't really tell anyone until I went to school. Um, I went to the university of Georgia and, and part of the reason I chose to go there was, was because I, I had a pretty strong feeling that I could be who I wanted to be and, and not worry about it too much. And, um, I, I didn't want to go to Alabama, Auburn, where, you know, there was so many people from my high school going, I just didn't want to deal with that, you know? And so right. I went to Georgia and, and kind of from the get go, I, just established a lot of those relationships in the truth um, and not being, I don't ever remember like telling those people like I'm gay, but I just kind of like filter the comments, <laughs> you know, so they could come <laughs> between the lines. And then I didn't come out to my parents until I was 20 and I was in Australia at the time. It was the day that the Supreme court legalized gay marriage. And I had never really thought about that being like a very consequential, consequential thing for me I didn't necessarily you know at that time think oh like I really want to get married I really want to have x y and z life and it didn't necessarily feel like it impacted me and and then when it actually passed I had this kind of moment of like oh my gosh this this really does impact me I think I had a friend text me and say like I know you don't want to get married but I'm so happy for you that you can and um you know it, it definitely set off a lot of waterworks <laughs> um and I bet, yeah and I, I i had a i had a travel blog that i was doing and, and for anyone listening don't come out to your parents when you're nine thousand miles away on your travel blog it's terrible <laughs> they're they're gonna be fine like my parents were fine i never had any concern that they were gonna be fine they're just gonna worry about you because <laughs> you're so far away you lessons learned um, right lessons, so learned. lessons learned if i if i could do it again i would not do it like that <laughs> gotcha that's so funny yeah, I love that. I started my show actually the week after the ruling, and one of my very first guests was one of the plaintiffs in the case. So it was oh wow, it was a great way to start my show because deal. I was uh, yeah, it was it was it was kind of amazing. And uh, like you said, it really impacts you in ways you don't think it's going to impact you. That thought, well, I yeah. don't ever really want to get married, but um, yeah. it, it, but it's just that. You find out all the rights that go along with it you couldn't have. It's like, well, I'm entitled to those. Something's wrong here. So, yeah, it, it, yep, it kind of takes a while to sink in. All right, well, let's jump into it. And I want to talk about your advocacy a bit because, I mean, let's talk about being gay in the South, period. I loved your article you wrote for The Advocate about uh, let's, let's remember the South. I mean, Target during Pride season will have gay flags flying in every place, but it seems like it wasn't happening that where you, was that the first time that you kind of noticed it? Yeah. Well, you know, I think that like, it's been what really just like the past, like two or three years that we've seen this kind of like commercialization of pride, you know, like it's really been hit really hard. Every single big retailer is going to do their pride collection and do their whole thing. And, and and it was really interesting because, you know, I would see posts on Instagram or, or shirts or whatever, and I'd be like, oh, that's really cool. Like, I really want that. And I'd, I'd go to Target at my, you know, in, in Alabama or Banana Republic or, or wherever, and I couldn't get it. They didn't have any of it. And I thought it was fascinating right, right. That, that, 
while like they were so out quote out and proud on their website and in their marketing materials and, and all that kind of stuff, they weren't in, in the actual communities that could be really positively impacted. And, and I think that, you know, I look back as a kid and, and I wonder if, you know, how my story might've been different if I had really seen more people that looks like, that looked like me and, and, and I could have made those connections more quickly. And if, you know, our, those big box stores have pride flags or, or have, you know, t-shirts or whatever that, that lets people ask the question, like, well, what is pride? And, and parents that can explain that and everything, I, I think that that could do such a big world of good, um, especially for people in rural areas that don't have a pride parade or have, you know, pride events or anything like that. Um, we can't forget the South. I mean, the South is, has always been in this country kind of the last frontier for, for every single human rights issue that we've talked, you know, that we've struggled with as a country. And so we, we have to be proactive here, just like we're proactive in, in bigger places around the country. Right. And talk about, did you feel, was this something that was always inside you? Did you feel almost like you had to be once your dad started becoming a very high profile office? What brought your advocacy to the front? Um, yeah. I mean, I had never, I had never planned to be an advocate. I had never planned, I never thought that that would be something that I would do, something that I'd be super involved with. You know, I was, I was all about the zoo. I was all about animals. I wanted to advocate for, advocate for animals and for the environment and for things like that. But it was not really kind of a, an area that I had really thought about. And, you know, after dad won, I just kind of got plucked out of the internet. <laughs> you know, people just found out who I was and, um, all of a sudden there was kind of the social media presence and, and a, a base and a, a platform to do something. I really, I mean, I think the first event that I did was with uh, the San Francisco Gaming Course. They, they reached out and they're like, hey, you know, would you mind coming to San Francisco and, and to speak at our event? And I was like, you want little old me to come speak at your event? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'd never done something like that before. <laughs> and so, um, you know, that's kind of, kind of where it started. And um, it's been, you know, an interesting ride. It's been really amazing i've met so many amazing people at some really cool events it's not something that i've kind of done as, as much of recently and something that i'm really trying to get back into maybe probably after this all this quarantine stuff ends <laughs> um but but right you know trying to do some more events and, and network with some more people and really hit the ground in a really impactful way that is so cool of you and talk about, I kind of joked about it, the side eye seen around the world there. Did you think that moment was going to go viral? Describe that to me. For those of you that don't know, your dad was sworn in by Mike Pence, such a great friend to the gays. Um, talk about that experience. Yeah. So, I mean, we, like, we knew who would be swearing dad in. I didn't realize how uncomfortable I would be in that moment <laughs> until you're actually up there. And, um, it was funny because, like, it wasn't really a planned thing, but I think that it does really capture how I was feeling. You know, it's kind of one of those, like, half a second moments of, of the truth because in all the other photos, everyone's all smiles and everything's great and everything's wonderful. Sure. But that one right. photo really is the photo that captures the essence of, of that moment, at least for me, because it was uncomfortable, you know, to be around someone that, that knows that you don't – or that that believes that you don't necessarily have the that should have the same rights as as everyone else, or kind of believes that there's something wrong with you. Um, it's a super uncomfortable moment, and you know 
it's it's funny because Joe Biden was with us that day. He he and my dad have been friends for a long time, and um, he escorted my dad for the for the swearing in portion of it on the Senate floor. And mm. there's a there's a moment where where Vice President Pence actually invites Joe Biden to to be in the photo with us. You see in the video, we all just kind of relaxed. Like the the minute Joe's up there, we're like, oh, everything's gonna be fine. <laughs> uh, we just kind of all breathe for a second. And um, we got down, you know, we're done with the photo, we're heading back to the office, and I, I get someone on Instagram sent me this photo, like one of the photographers did. And in my mind, I was like, oh, did my eyes look like that? <laughs> and, um, you know, and I, I kind of like, I was like, well, we're we're going to seize this moment, you know, I'm going to try and make, make as big of an impact as, as I can. And so... <laughs> It was funny because a couple of days later after we left D.C., or when we were about to leave D.C., there's this lady that works in my dad's office, and, you know, she's getting out to give me a hug, and then she goes, Carson, control your eyes. Control your eyes. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's funny. I like that. Now, you guys seem like a pretty close family. How proud were you of that moment when your dad does this? I mean, we're talking 25 years we've had a Democrat um, U.S. Senator from Alabama, and then turn around that, and how proud is he of all the work that you've done since then? How is he of you? Yeah, I mean, it's been a really special time for our family, like in in so many ways that I just don't think that we could have ever comprehended before having this experience. You know, the, the night of the election, like, he was down for a good long time um, in, in the numbers, and, you know, we were all kind of sitting around, and, and I remember this point in time, probably about halfway through, my grandmother looked at me, and she was like, so we're going home. And I was like, no, granny, we're not going home. Like there's still a lot of, a lot of votes <laughs> out there, but we definitely were so nervous that night. And, and then within, you know, 15 minutes, everything changed. And, um, you know, we just, it, it's just that night is a blur, but we have this one photo of, of the four of us kind of afterwards, after the acceptance speeches and everything. And, and we're just all hugging and, and I think we're just all shocked, you know, um, at, at how amazing it all is and how excited we are and how proud of dad we are because at the end of the day, like people voted for someone that they believed in and, and someone that was authentic and genuine and, you know, cared about their concerns and their cares. And so yeah. I think that, you know, I'm so proud that he can be that person. He's not, he, he he's not the regular politician, right? He doesn't just tell it like people want to hear it. He tells people the truth, whether that hurts him politically or not. He doesn't care. He's going to tell people the truth every day. So I think that we're all really proud of him every day that he's up in D.C. or out in the state, you know, talking with different people. Um, and, you know, he gives me a lot of crap for my Instagram, but um, I, I think that he's proud of me, too. <laughs> I know he's got to be my friend. And that is so great to hear. And, yeah, he is. I don't even want to talk about his opponent. We're not going to go there because – it's just not worth it. But he showed what a true, what a true statesman should be. What a, what a good person is like. And like I said, he's taken some tough votes. Um, and I just, I'm so impressed by him. And I just love the way your family's kind of rallied together. And I know that he's got to be just as proud of you, man, because you are doing some, some great stuff out there. And you were kind of well, thrown into you. it a lot more publicly than I'm sure anybody would have wanted to be. So good on you, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. It's it's definitely been an interesting and and an experience. I mean, I think Dad has taken more difficult votes than we could have ever imagined he would have to take, and and he yeah. takes all of those votes really seriously. You know, I, I wrote an article 
factoring the impeachment because I think that people were so much like, oh, well, he has to vote to impeach Trump or he has to vote you know, against impeachment. He has to do X and he has to do Y. And I was like, guys, like this is really heavy on him. This is really hard, right? I this bet. is not about whether he likes or dislikes the president. This is about whether he thinks the president has broken the law or not. And he takes that very seriously. This is not a political thing for him. And so, you know, it, he really like took a lot of time to weigh the issues and, and to figure out where he stood on, on different things. And he does that with every issue. Um, and so we're, we're, we're very proud of, of all the work that he's doing. Um, even with how difficult it, it all has been. <laughs> I bet. Well, I am proud of him and your family as well for going through this journey with them because it's not just one person elected, it's the family. You guys all get pulled into it one way or another eventually. So congratulations yeah, to all of you. Because, you know, me and my mom do quite a bit of traveling with my dad for, for fundraising and for different events and things. And um, it's funny because we have a lot of people that are surprised when we're there. They're like, oh, the spouses really? and the kids never never do this. And we're like, oh, really? That's kind of thought what we thought we signed up for, you know? So um, <laughs> it has been a really fun experience to, to do it all together and, and to really make it a, a team effort. Um, it, it's been a really awesome time for us. That's awesome. Let's help more, more political families start to keep up with the Joneses, man. That's the way it should be. I like that. <laughs> very, very good. All right, well, you mentioned it. Let's get into a little of the silly and sublime here. Look about this Instagram. Let's talk about your crazy fitness regimen. I mean, I got to tell you, I used to get a little intimidated and a lot angry that you had such commitment to your damn workouts. And then I read (laughs) your little blog article about regimen and being important to you and everything, so I understood a little bit more. So let's talk about this, how this routine is important to you, what working out means to you, and how all this ends up on Instagram and how you've been able to deal with that with a good sense of humor yeah well i you know one thing that i really try and do on instagram is i i try and be authentic and i I try and be genuine i don't try to be someone that i'm not and i don't try to make everything seem perfect you know i think we have way too much instagram perfect world to look at thank you yeah i try and be true you know and, and try and be honest with who i am and what's going on with me and and everything um for me i'm a routine person like i'm much better when there is a schedule and when things happen in a specific order. And um, I think that, you know, working out for me is, is the first thing that I can do in the morning to make my day start uh, on the right foot. Um, I've been really spending a lot of time in the last couple of months, like thinking about mindfulness and thinking about not just physical health, but, but mental health as well. And, and what are those things throughout our day that keep us going, that get us going, that keep us kind of on the right track, that keep us calm um, that, you know, bring our anxiety down, all those different types of things. And, and for me, like my regimen and my schedule and, and my workouts do that. No, I definitely miss workouts, especially right now. Like the routine is completely out the window. Um, I bet. Yeah. I'm a really firm believer that, that the things that we we're successful with the things we commit to. And I am not a fitness guru. I most of the time do not know what I'm doing when I work out. <laughs> Um, didn't really have that like sports background or anything. It's all just, you know, kind of things that I've learned in, in the past couple of years, but um, I've found that it, it's just helped me immensely um, feel more confident in myself, feel more calm, start my day better. And I think that anything that we can do to, to kind of um, help our lives in that way is, is important. I agree. And like I said, I love that the authenticity comes through because I think you're harder on yourself than anybody else. And a lot of your posts, 
Um, you, you, oh, you yeah. Tend to, you tend to put yourself down a lot more than I would be doing. And uh, it, it's endearing, but it's also like uh, I'm glad you have the confidence part down because it seems like you do try to be almost too honest there sometimes, my friend. <laughs> uh, I, I have been told that, <laughs> that I'm too honest <laughs> for sure. Um <laughs> My one of my uh, New Year's resolutions uh, this past year was to be more positive, which is I, I think important. There you go. But you know, every everyone has the different things that that kind of take up their the the space in their brain. And and for me, like you know, before all this stuff happened with my dad's election, like social media was something fun, but it didn't take up a lot of my time. You know, it, it was something that I did to connect with my friends and my people. And and then when things blew up, it really it it definitely impacted me in a, in a negative way there for a while. And that I was always so worried about how many likes I was getting and how many comments I was getting, and how much engagement yeah. I was getting. And, and, you know, I got wrapped up in that world of like, Oh my gosh, I posted this photo and it's not getting this, you know, very many likes. Like, what does that mean? And right. I, I really tried to take a step back and not ask myself, like, what does that mean about me or anything like that? Like maybe the comment wasn't super, you know, creative or, or whatever, but tried to not kind of make it a, a personal thing by any means um, and try and just have a, a little bit of a healthier approach to social media and social media consumption because it can it can be really hard. And I know that that's such a, like, first world problem to talk about, but I think that it does. Right. I think that social media can impact us in, in really negative ways just as many, just as much as it can impact us in really positive ways. And so it's it's about finding that the, the right balance of, you know, engaging with people and creating real connections and creating meaning um, without making it your whole world <laughs> or your, your whole, right. you know. Well, and I think the important thing is, too, you're a real dude. I mean, you're you're going to a job every day. You're, you're trying to be an advocate. You're making sure that your dad is feeling supported. I mean, you're a real guy. And so – that, that's a full-time job in and of itself. If you start getting involved with all the social media celebrity of it all, it just kind of really oh, messes yeah. with your head a bit, I would think. So I, oh, I think it's nice that you're able to evaluate that. That just shows how it, it, level-headed you are, my friend. It, it You know, it can get really crazy. I, you know, I think before this, like, had never really understood, like, social media manager is, like, a full-time job. There are people that just do that. And now, like yep. – managing my own social media i'm like who wants to manage my social media full-time because i don't <laughs> you know i have my i have my full-time job and i have my responsibilities and all those types of things um and it takes up a surprising amount of time but i also find that you know that when i invest that quality time in doing it right and responding to people's comments and, and those types of things like i can really try and create those those meaningful connections a little bit better so it's when I take the, you know, when I'm going to do it, I really try and sit down and do it right and not just throw something up there to throw something up there, but have it, have it have some purpose. Right. Very good. Very good. And you do balance. You, you're great in balance. I know that you love to work out, but I also see you're, you're an eater like me. You like to eat too. So there's always balance. Uh, in there. That's a good thing, right? <laughs> well, that's why I have to work out so hard. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I love food. I love to cook. Food is a, a big part of my life, especially right now in quarantine. <laughs> I bet. No, I'm sure that we're all we're all gaining ten pounds if we're not careful there and cooking a lot mm-hmm. more than we want to be. That's for sure. I'm, I'm going to go out to. I can't wait for my first day to go out to a restaurant. It's just not going to be a pretty sight. That's for sure. Oh yeah. 
<laughs> well, I dealing now with your dad, you've seen the good and the bad, I'm sure, of politics over this past couple of years. Um, everyone's going to ask, are you interested in it? Is it something you would be interested in or just doing your advocacy and what's important to you, better to you to do it in small bites? What, what do you see? I mean, it sounds like you love your job, which I love. Um, talk about what's the pull on that. Are you able to kind of keep your distance from it? What, what's your thoughts on that? I honestly have no idea. You know, I, I've spent gotcha. so much of answer. my life being being a planner and, and planning it out and being a zookeeper and, and figuring out all the steps that I needed to achieve to be a zookeeper. And, and now, you know, I, I love my job. I, I love what I do. But I'm also, you know, starting to ask the question of, like, well, maybe what's next? You know, can I make a broader impact? Can I do something slightly differently? And, and kind of take my, my impact up a notch. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know that I really want to run for politics, but I do think that politics is very interesting. And um, I'm really lucky that I'm able to be involved in dad's stuff and, and kind of see how it all works and, and learn about it. Um, so I think that working on a campaign at some point could be kind of fun. Um, I say that now, even though we're about to gear up for our, our our next campaign to check with me again in a couple months. <laughs> um, yeah, right, right. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, um, we'll, we'll see. I really, I want to continue to do some advocacy stuff. I really want to kind of really hit the ground running with that a, a little harder this next year. Um, I'm trying to kind of restart my website and, and get some more meaningful content out there and talk to people about issues that are going on. You know, I, I posted a video the other night talking about, the, the election in Wisconsin and really the need for absentee voting, you know, without a reason. So, you know, the people in Wisconsin right. had to make a really hard choice. Like, are they going to stand in line to exercise their right to vote and participate in democracy? Or are they going to stay home and stay safe? And so that's where we really need to be looking at, you know, all the states and making sure that getting an absentee ballot is easy. In Alabama, you pretty much yeah. have to give up your firstborn child to give, to get an absentee ballot. You know, it's really, right. really difficult. So how can we make that process easier for people? So I think there's some really interesting questions and issues to talk about. Um, so I'm going to try and do some of that more over the next year and get involved in some more organizations and do some more stuff and then, you know, kind of see where that leads. Very good. I like that. I mean, it's great to take it one day at a time. Um, I did go through your website. I think it's a very, very going to be very full and I like that you kind of stepping back and making sure you're doing it right for you. I think you can't put too much on your plate or else it just falls apart. You can't do too much social media. You can't spend all your time at work. You can't spend all your time doing something. I think you're really starting to yeah. find a balance. And that's a hard thing to do, right? Balance is tough. Oh, oh, it is. I mean, last, so last year for me, you know, I look at it as, as the defining years of my life, kind of for a lot right. of negative reasons. I, you know, I got in this relationship with someone that I really cared about, and he was really awesome, and he is still really awesome, but that ended, and I realized that I had put so much into that that I had kind of looking at all the other things around and all the other things I wanted to do, and right. so when that ended, I, I kind of, like, had this waking up moment of, of panic of, like, oh, my gosh, like, I have all this stuff that I need to do, <laughs> you know, I need to get my head <laughs> in, in, in a better place, and I need do more advocacy stuff and I need to do this and I need to do that and so you know honestly some of this quarantine time is, has been really good for me because it's been really productive I've you know fallen in love with this this podcast that Brene Brown does it's called Unlocking Us that I love it's just a lot of like how do we deal with all this anxiety how do we be vulnerable how do we have more you know meaningful relationships and connections 
I'm, I'm reading a leadership book that I, I love right now from the, the CEO of, um, uh, of Disney and, you know, it's t- going through step-by-step step some of his, his leadership techniques through his story. And that's been really interesting. So it's been a really good time to kind of get my head screwed back on straight and then kind of figure out the plan from there. Good for you, man. Well, we got to start wrapping this up. Give everyone your website address and where they can follow you on social media if they're so inclined. Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram and at the Dapper Zookeeper. You can follow me on Twitter. I don't really know how to do the Twitter thing, but I'm learning. Um, (laughs) I'm at Dapper Zookeeper. Uh, And then my website is lifebycarsonjones.com. There's not a ton on it yet, but I promise I'm working on stuff. I have a lot of extra days right now. So hopefully we'll, there you go. Uh, I'll get now some good stuff good. put out there. Take your time because everything you've written I think is spot on, and I think you come at it from a very thoughtful point of view. So I appreciate that. Well, I appreciate and that. all you have to do is you hook your Twitter and your Instagram and let it automatically post to it. The heck, that's all I do. I, <laughs> I don't have time. <laughs> There's not enough hours in the freaking day, you know? Yeah, And absolutely. just because I'm this huge political junkie, um, do you have a campaign or a web address for your dad's campaign? Because we got to get your dad back in office. DougJones.com. Easy enough. There you go. All right. Well, Carson Jones, it's been great getting to know you. We're going to have to have you back real soon. We're also going to do a five questions with you for I want my listeners to be able to look out for. Have a little fun and frivolity here off the air. Thanks so much for being on the Left and Straight Show, my friend. Thanks so much for having me. It's so much fun. Glad we could do this. Super duper, guys. Stay on the line for me, Carson. We'll be back in just a little bit. We're going to play out here. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. Pulling past the signpost of this tiny weathered town. The tears welled up so high inside, I thought that I might drown. Everything different, but it all looks the same. And now you're here beside me, and I'm rid of all my shame. I just hope that they will see what is always been in me. How much do I love you?
Mighty friends, we are back. That was our good buddy Blake MacGyver with This Is Who We Are. Guys, I'm happy to have my next guest on the show. He's part of Equality Ohio, an amazing organization that I've praised many times over the past four years on the show, as you know. He works for the Lego Clinic as a staff attorney and actually grew up here in McDonald, Ohio, just a stone throw from me from Poland here. He got a degree in financing at our wonderful Ohio State University, then went on to obtain his law license specializing in constitutional law. I really wanted to have him on the show to talk about our LGBTQ rights in general, but especially in our time of Corona 2020. There may be certain challenges we keep facing that I wanted to talk to him about. So please welcome to the show for the very first time, representing Equality Ohio, Mr. Andy Dugan. Andy, how you doing, buddy? I am doing fantastic. Super excited to be on your show. And, yeah, it's finally great to be, be on with you, son. Excited to have you. Is it Dugan or Duggan? I always hate saying wrong names. I say that. Yeah, yeah, Dugan, Dugan, yeah. Woohoo! Every once in a while, my four years of English pays off. You never know, but it does <laughs> on occasion here. <laughs> well, thanks so much for calling in. Equality Ohio is such an amazing organization. We're going to talk about that in a second and everything you do. But uh, since you is your first time on the guest, and I always like to give my listeners a little peek into the man behind the conversation here, let's start with just a little bit about you. Talk about where you grew up, what kind of a kid were you, and what was your first inkling that law might be something you want to pursue? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, I grew up in McDonald, Ohio. Um, it's a one-square-mile little suburb on the north side of Youngstown. Uh, graduated with about, like, 53 kids. Um, I was always very much an extrovert, um, sometimes not the best behaved, a little bit of a troublemaker. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, the law was something that I just always um, was very interested in. Um, even as, like, a younger kid, um, I always kind of had, like, an inkling um, I wanted to do that. Um, and even when I went to college, I really the only reason I majored in finance was because my mom made me. Um, it really wasn't sure what to do, poli sci. So I didn't do that. Um, but and um, so yeah, that's why I picked finance. But even all all throughout um, undergrad, it was something that I was thinking about. Um, during that time, I had the opportunity to work for both the Ohio State House and um, the Ohio Governor um, back in the day as well. Um, and so they were great experiences. And I thought I would do much more of the government kind of that. Just never really kind of hand out for me, um, and then I also decided to enter law school during the middle of the Great Recession, um, and during that time, there was a lot of, a lot of lawsuits, um, and so because <laughs> people just really weren't sure where they were going to go, so a lot of people thought it was a good idea to go to law school. Um, they did that, and then ended up at a firm um, in Columbus, Ohio, um, technically in Grandview, which is just right outside of Columbus. Um, I was there for a little over five years before I came on to Equality Ohio last year um, to help start its legal clinic um, in the Columbus office. Well, that is amazing, and thank you so much for doing that. Talk about what drew you to um, to help out in the community like that. Yeah, no, honestly, so public interest um, and legal aid, those were really what I wanted to get into for um, my career. That's why I did some stuff in government. That's why I um, thought that's why I've always done like more volunteer kind of things. Um, really just found a job what I could find um, after law school. Um, nothing that – it was a great job, worked with some great people, um, but really just never anything I was very passionate about. And then when I saw this opportunity, 
Um, so Equality Ohio has been around for quite a while, um, since around 2005, after um, the elections in 2004 with a lot of the um, um, same-sex marriage bans on the ballot. And after right. that um, is when Equality Ohio was founded. Um, and through the life of the organization, individuals will always call in seeking legal help. Um, and though we have many um, great directors and staff members and uh, members of our board who are attorneys, they are not specifically um, employed by Equality Ohio to help specifically represent LGBTQ Ohioans across the state. Um, and so our direct, our executive director and our legal director worked uh, really hard for a couple of years to help um, lay the groundwork. And so I got um, brought on board. Um, I was brought on and then another attorney in Cleveland um, to help found the clinic um, last winter. And so I have been um, um, specifically responsible for representing LGBTQ Ohioans um, basically in Central and Southeast Ohio. Um, and so for people not from Ohio, um, that's a huge area, actually. Ohio is a really big state um, and yeah. has a pretty uh, like geographic, diverse region. So, you know, representing folks in Columbus, Ohio, the, the state's largest city, or representing folks um, down in some, you know, Appalachian counties that are night and day from Columbus. Wow, that's amazing. That is a big, big distance to cover here. Um I'm so excited for the work that you guys are doing and Equality Ohio in general. Like you said, it was founded in 2005 after Ohio passed its constitutional amendment prohibiting same-sex marriage and civil unions. Thank you, George W. Bush and all those people there. But uh, you guys have done everything, the organization in general, done everything from helping the gay games back in 2014. Now you have the law clinic. You've done so many great works there and things you guys have been part of. Um, talk about the organization a little bit more. Where do you guys have satellite? I mean, I see you everywhere. You guys hit every pride in the state. I don't know how you do it. Um, you guys have satellite offices or talk about the organization a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, technically our headquarters is in Columbus. Um, but so we, we do have our office here in Columbus and then we have an office, um, in Cleveland in the Cleveland Marshall law school, actually. And then we oh, have nice. another uh, mobile office down in Cincinnati with a staff attorney for our legal clinic and also a member of our field team. And so, yeah, we uh, divide and conquer the state uh, really from the three C's pretty much from Cleveland, Cincinnati and Columbus and try to uh, divide and conquer that way. Uh, we do go to every single pride. Uh, last year there was over two dozen, I think. Um, so the month of June is typically a blur. Um, this year it <laughs> right. seems like um, the fall, will be a blur given everything going on with the coronavirus and a lot of the postponements and things like that. Um, but actually the prides are some of the best things that we do um, because, you know, you, the, the prides in, you know, Columbus, Cincinnati, Cleveland, those are all great. They're a lot of fun. They're a lot of work. Uh, but sometimes the better prides are when you get to go out to a lot of the smaller communities across the state where that may be the only time of the year where people feel comfortable um, coming out as who they are and going into a public place, you know, holding their significant other's hand or presenting the way that they want right. to present. So, yeah, no, so it's, it's a really good experience. It really makes you um, feel good. Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, Youngstown is, is really small. Uh, had one for 10 years, though. Manchester was exciting when that started happening. Akron hit the ground running. It's on year three and getting big-name talent and everything. So there's a lot mm -hmm. of really exciting yeah. stuff happening in the smaller cities. So very, very oh, cool. I love that. 
talk about the law clinic a little bit. You talk about having the two physical locations. You guys work with uh, LGBTQ community. Primarily, I think the rule is they have to be like 300% of the poverty level. I think that starts at like 38000 for individuals up to maybe 132000 for a family of eight, depending on the sliding scale there. Talk about that a second. Yes. Yeah, so we provide civil legal assistance um, to members of the LGBTQ community, um, so long as they self-identify as that. Um, we're not asking any type of kind questions or anything like that. Um, who make less than 300% of the federal poverty level? We are funded um, through a variety of grants, one being the Victims of Crime Act. Um, the Victims of Crime Act is actually it's a federal law where when the federal government prosecutes um, different types of like civil crimes, and then, you know, a company might need to uh, pay back a penalty or something like that. That penalty will go into a big pot of money that, that then gets distributed throughout the state, and then the state's attorney general um, will then distribute to different organizations that are doing work. Um, and so that's how we are partially funded. Uh, and so we do a lot of victim advocacy, so helping out folks um, get protection orders, um, apply, even just as simple as uh, filing a police report, um, there are many instances where we have encountered folks um, who either try to report an instance of, like, domestic violence or maybe just, you know, violence with a friend or something like that, and then the police aren't taking them seriously, um, you know, just because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. Um, and so then we're able to help with that. Um, and then but we do a lot more than just victim advocacy. So we do family law, um, divorces, custody, all those types of uh, fun things. As um, you know, probably as a lot of your listeners know, um, at both the federal level and then in the state of Ohio, there are no explicit um, protections for folks um, based on sexual orientation or gender identity. In certain instances, though, you are able to file a complaint um, for sex stereotyping discrimination on one of the theories that is um, up at the Supreme Court right now for the Title VII cases. Um, and so long as we are able to fit into that category, we're able to help folks file discrimination complaints with, like, the Ohio Civil Rights Commission, um, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, um, depending on if it's, like, a federal housing thing, potentially, like, the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Um, also, a lot of municipalities in Ohio um, have enacted local non-discrimination ordinances. So there's, I was um, going to bring that up. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that a second. Very good. Yeah, yeah. And so that's actually something that our field team um, is heavily involved with to help um, um, either, you know, cities, villages, counties um, pass different ordinances. Um, but if there was an ordinance, a lot of the time it may set up some type of local commission or something like that to investigate the um, alleged discrimination. So if necessary, we could help folks um, apply with, um, you know, file a complaint with one of those commissions. Um, Landlord-tenant law, name changes, record sealing, both criminal record sealing and eviction record sealing. There are certain cities in Ohio that um, will permit you um, to file a request to seal eviction records. And so that could really help folks, you know, obtain housing, um, get employment, um, if they do have um, an eviction or a criminal offense back on their record. Also, we help um, individuals if this is actually happens fairly often um, where um, someone might be seeking gender-affirming care and then their insurance denies um, what procedure mm -hmm. that they wanted to have done. Um, and so help, which is just, oh, it could be just mind-numbing sometimes. But we're able to help folks um, navigate that process and help them either file internal appeals and potentially an external appeal of an, a denial to help them get the care that they need and deserve. 
Well, it's such important work that you do, and a lot of people aren't aware of it. I want to drill down both kind of big picture and in Ohio here. Big picture, we do have like three cases right now, as you said, in front of the Supreme Court. We have the Title VII employment discrimination. We have adoption rights coming up. Um, and, And one other one, talk about those and where you see those at right now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so for the Title VII cases that they're um, kind of broken out into two different um, oral arguments um, in the fall, um, one based on sexual orientation discrimination and then another for um, gender identity or expression discrimination, um, we are awaiting a ruling from the Supreme Court. Um, a lot of people um, may remember for a lot of the uh, most impactful um, LGBTQ cases um, tend to come out in June. Um, so it may come out a little right. bit later, but just given everything with coronavirus, we have no idea. So every Monday morning at 10 a.m., we're, we are checking the Supreme Court website, making sure that decision <laughs> um, may or may not have been released. Um, I bet. And so basically, in a nutshell, what those cases are trying to say um, is is discrimination, um, is sex, does sex discrimination encompass sexual orientation discrimination or, and also um, gender identity discrimination? And so those cases can go um, a number of different ways. Um, the cases... And what all do you think those um, will you know, impact? Could, those will impact working? Those will impact... Uh, what, all, what all do you think that's going to uh, be able to use that for as a legal argument now, Once if that passes? What can that um, help so again? It very much depends on what the um, final ruling would be. Um, again, so it's Title okay. Seven. Title Seven is a federal employment law. So it would... It, even if we have the best ruling in the entire world, um, that ruling is limited to employment law um, for Title VII mm-hmm. purposes. Now, that is not to say that it won't um, be persuasive in other cases, for sure. Um, so, like for instance, um, in Title IX cases, which covers um, um, sex discrimination in federally financed education programs. So um, right. a lot of those cases look to Title VII for so um, okay. it could have a you know it could have a rippling effect, um, but again it could also have a negative rippling effect um, if we get a bad right. ruling. Um, but again, and that it, it is solely limited though that that decision will be limited to the Title VII employment context, um, and so that doesn't cover housing, that doesn't cover public accommodations, and so that is still why we would regardless of the way the case comes out. That's why we do need the Equality Act on the federal level and here in Ohio, the Ohio Fairness Act at the state level to ensure to um, prohibit discrimination in all aspects of life. Exactly. That's what I wanted to kind of bring home there. And also I think we have a religious adoption kind of thing going between the Supreme Court now as well. Talk about that for a second. Yeah, no, so that case is coming from the city of Philadelphia, um, and to be honest, I do not know all of, like, the particulars of that case. Um, but from what I believe I understand, it was um, the city of Philadelphia would award contracts to different types of agencies to perform adoption work. A part of that um, process was that um, for government contractors, you can't discriminate, um, including based on sexual orientation or gender identity or expression under um, you know, the city of Philadelphia rules. And then there was a, a Catholic adoption agency that was a government contractor for quite a long time, but then either was not removed. I believe it was um, the agreement was not renewed. Um, don't quote me on that one, though. But, um, and so that no, has I think made you're, that's kind of how I understand well, it. I appreciate that. And it's going up to, yeah, so that, that decision then would be that, um, or that the oral arguments for that will be some, sometime later this year. We'll see. <laughs> gotcha. 
And let's drill into Ohio a little bit. We got a lot of things going on. We have a Republican legislature here. We've had it for a long time due to gerrymandering. Thank you very much. Um, but we have the Ohio Fairness Act you talked about. I want you to go into that a little bit. We also have the Save Women Sports Act, which is a wild thing we're trying to go through here. Um, talk about those two for just a brief moment, if you don't mind. Yeah, for sure. So the Ohio Fairness Act um, it is the state um, equivalent of the Federal Equality Act. And so it would prohibit uh, discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender identity expression um, in housing, employment, um, public accommodations. Right now we have a real patchwork of protections. There's a number, number of municipalities across the state that have local protections and it is not statewide. So you literally can lose your rights um, while you're driving to work. Um, so you, know, right. you could live in Youngstown or not live in – so you could live in Poland and then drive to Youngstown for work have rights, but then leave Youngstown and then may no, may no longer have those rights. Um, exactly. This right. year we are, we are actually, um, we've been fortunate so far to have um, both bipartisan, um, the bill is part bipartisan in both the Senate and in the House. Um, this is one of the first times that it's actually ever happened. Um, in the Senate, it is actually Senator Michael Woolley from the Youngstown area, who is a Republican, who is the co-sponsor of the Ohio Fairness Act. Um, so big shout out to um, local Senator Woolley. And so I that did not know that. I just stopped there today. I'm excited. I will keep shopping yes. there then. <laughs> yes, yes. So yeah, uh, Michael Woolley is, the, and I mean, he is a, a vocal um, supporter of it as well. So that is Senate Bill 11. That has already, that's been introduced in the Senate Judiciary Committee, and it's already had a proponent testimony. Um, so the way that it works in Ohio when a bill is introduced, it gets assigned to a committee. There's an initial sponsor testimony, and so they will have um, – uh, and so the sponsors provide a testimony. Then there would be proponent testimony. Again, that's um, when supporters uh, are testifying in favor of the bill. That has happened. Right. So now we're waiting for opponent testimony in the Senate. Um, staying in the House. Um, and so it's uh, House Bill 369, and it's following a similar path in the House as well currently. Very good, very good. That's I'm I'm glad to know about Ruley. I'm gonna to have to reach out to him. I do know the family a bit, and we for those of you that aren't in Ohio, they have a couple of shopping uh, grocery stores here that I frequent often. So very cool. I will have to reach out there. I didn't know he was a proponent for it, and I know he is Republican, so that makes me a little happy inside. Gotta tell you. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> surprise, surprise on occasion. Yay! All right, and talk about the Save Women Sports Act. They're trying to in our uh, state house. Yeah, so no, that, that is a bill that has inter- been introduced in Ohio. Um, there are a number of states actually um, that have introduced similar laws or similar bills across the country. Um, very unfortunate um, during this time that some of these um, bills are trying to um, you know, single out people um, for folks and for kids that are really just trying to play a sport that they do love. Um, and so um, these bills would be against both what the NCAA is for and the Ohio Athletic Association. There's already policies in place um, that allows transgender youth um, to, com- to compete alongside their peers. And that's really right. um, what, what it really is all about. Um, and so hopefully these bills will not gain traction in Ohio um, like they may have in um, some certain other states, I believe it was Idaho, that may have actually passed the law. Um, but so yeah, it's against current policy. Um, it's going after a problem that doesn't exist. 
um, and it's really targeting some um, some youth who are just trying to live their lives and play a sport that they love. Understand. Very good. Thanks for explaining that. Now we all Ohio gets a lot of distinctions, good and bad. Uh, one of our bad distinctions: <laughs> we're one of two states about, that will do anything, won't do anything about birth certificate markers. Talk about that a second. Um, is there any progress on that? And what's the only other state that does that besides Ohio? Yes. So the only other state other than Ohio that does that is Tennessee. Um, and so 48 other states have already moved on. Um, Ohio and Tennessee have not. Um, and so currently in Ohio, you are able to change your gender marker, your sex identification marker, on your um, Ohio driver's license, Ohio um, state ID card, whatever you have. Currently, there was an, a policy slash unwritten policy of the um, Ohio Department of Health that would not allow folks to update the gender marker on their birth certificates. So um, our friends over at the ACLU actually filed a lawsuit in federal court um, in the Southern District of Ohio uh, a couple years ago now. And so last year the court denied the state's request to dismiss the case um, and so, which is which is definitely favorable for our side. So right now, they are submitting motions for summary judgment. And so again, this is something that we are just waiting on the court to issue a ruling. Um, if we do receive a favorable ruling, then there actually may be a process. Uh, then the state will hopefully set up a process for folks to update the gender marker on their birth certificate. So right now, even if you get a legal name change in Ohio. Um, you cannot get – you can get a new birth certificate, but you cannot get your birth, the gender marker on your birth certificate updated, which then gotcha. you know, just always helps um, transgender folks at any time that they would need to submit that birth certificate for anything, for school, um, for you know, public benefits, for a job, anything like that. Right, and let's talk about a little about COVID-19 here. Um, we run into something yeah. in Ohio that I'm sure probably they're running into everywhere. Um, having trouble with some unemployment benefits, I understand, because of uh, not be, uh, identity for your licenses and things like that? Yes. Um, and so, obviously, we, we, are, we know about this here in Ohio, but it seems like this is something that could be uh, more widespread. Um, and it's not that the, um, um, you know, the Department of Job and Family Services has some anti-transgender um, policy. That is not <laughs> the case whatsoever. It's honestly their policy uh, or their process currently does not work for anyone that's had a legal name change um, that may have actually had benefits in the past. Um, and so what we have done through our investigation is, and this is unfortunate, um, is that, and it's not ideal, but individuals may need to file for unemployment benefits if they want to try to move along their application using their dead name, using their former name. And then after the fact, um, notifying the Department of Job and Family Services of their legal name change, um, you know, with a copy of the court order and any other type of identification documents that you may have. Um, again, that's here in Ohio. Some other states hopefully have something similar. I hope so. Um, but that is definitely right. just like another hurdle that's thrown up for folks. I, re- I really am going through some difficult times right now. Gotcha. Is there any other thing around COVID that you're seeing come across your guys' desk there or anything of interest that we should um, be on the lookout for? Um, yeah. I mean, there are a number of different issues. Obviously, folks 
across the country um, are experiencing physical distancing, um, economic strain, increased anxiety about a lot of different things in life right now. Um, a lot of these different things though, have been exacerbated for members of the LGBTQ community. Uh, for instance, um, students that may have been, you know, living as their two selves, maybe for the first time at college, but then have to go back home to an unsupportive family or maybe a family that doesn't know. Um, individuals that may be experiencing domestic violence and then just don't know where to turn. Um, and then again, just feel like the police won't adequately respond um, to what they're going through. Um, also, another um, issue that I'm seeing are folks that um, need assistance with the mental health services and trying to navigate that. Um, there's a lot of great providers across Ohio that, and I'm sure across America, that are trying to do, you know, telephonic um, counseling sessions or a Zoom call or something like that. Um, a lot of the, even just like the Zoom calls and things, like that, te the technology for that is just so um, beyond the limit for some folks that they just, they can't do that. They may not be in the place that they're even able to sit down at a computer if they have a computer to figure out how to set that up. And so just the, being trapped at the home, being trapped at home away from others can really um, exacerbate some pre-existing mental health conditions, especially if um, individuals were not seeking help um, before sure. the stay-at-home order. Super-duper. What else do you have? Anything that's coming across your radar that our listeners should uh, be looking out for just in general, in Ohio specifically, or across uh, the country in general to be on the lookout for? The only thing that I could think of is just um, I really encourage folks to check out, um, you know, their social media pages, looking at different ways if they are in a position that they are safe and they are um, healthy um, and if they might have a few extra dollars to help someone out. Um, there's a lot of great local organizations um, I've seen across, that have popped up across the state of Ohio just connecting neighbors to neighbors. Um, you know, maybe it is just, you know, dropping off a meal to someone that you know or just calling someone to make sure that they're okay or donating your time or money to some type of different organization. Um, if there is one good thing that's come out of all of this is just it is um, very heartening to see um, people helping others. And so that's just the one thing I would encourage people to do. Very good. Well, I thank you, Mr. Andy Dugan, for helping others. I mean, you guys are doing <laughs> amazing work at the legal clinic there. Um, you guys also have a great website at Equality Ohio that has a lot of resources as well. Um, what's the website for everyone out there? Yes. So our website is equalityohio.org. Um, and then on our website, you can find out information about all the different things our, organi our organization does. Um, you can also fill out a legal intake form um, if you do need if you are in Ohio and you are LGBTQ and need some legal help, um, go ahead and uh, plug that in there. And, um, yeah, I hope some people, hope your um, listeners are able to check it out. Very good. They can also, you guys have your own Instagram as well as Equality Ohio has one, and I think the law clinic has its own Instagram, correct? <laughs> yes, we do. Yeah, so you can check out the, uh, the handle Equality or yeah, Quality Ohio Law, and then or Quality Ohio um, on Instagram, and then we also are on like Facebook and Twitter as well. Very well, well, Annie. Thanks for coming on the show, listeners. I want you guys to go out there, check your states. Each state has some really good LGBTQ resources. Ohio, we are very lucky to have Equality Ohio. Check out their website. This legal clinic is amazing. You can do some online work with them. That you do have office hours as well, right, Andy? 
Yes. Um, so we have um, general intake opportunities um, when we're not at the stay-at-home. And right now during this time, um, every Tuesday from 3 to 7, you can call in at our hotline, and all of our staff attorneys are awaiting phone calls. Super duper. Well, thank you very much, Andy. We're going to do a five question with Andy, kind of get some more information out there. Appreciate you being on the show, my friend. You have a great rest of the afternoon and be safe during Corona 2020. Oh, you as well. And yeah, thank you so much for your opportunity. I'm really excited to be able to reach all your listeners. I appreciate you coming on, my friend. Stay on the line, guys. We're going to play out here. Uh, we'll be back in just a little bit. You're listening to the Left of Straight Show right out here on the Left of Straight Radio Network.
All right, everyone, we are back. That was Matt Stern with Travel Around Your World. Matt is going to be one of our three special Musical Monday guests this coming Monday when I bring you three all-new interviews, a brand-new interview with Matt. So, yeah, I've got a great week next week for you guys, five days of shows, 12 interviews all together. As I said, we're going to have Musical Mondays. We do every Monday. We're going to have Matt Stern in, Jason Utley, and Rodrigo Massa going to be on Monday's show. On Tuesday, we have Instagram and YouTube star Sam Cushing on, along with our special new feature with Adam Rothenberg from Call Me Adam in New York. And then our buddy Tommy Garassi will be on Tuesday. Then later the rest of the week, we're going to have our friend Frank DeCaro, who has a new web series. Kyle Langen is an amazing uh, blogger, lifestyle blogger out of West Hollywood. Rachel Mason, who I talked about uh, doing the Circus of Books uh, documentary. We're going to have uh, Ed Salvato, who is an amazing LGBT travel expert. Joshua Conkle, a writer, playwright. He also writes for The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix. And our good buddy, actor Fernando Rivera, will be on. So a huge week next week. 12 all-new interviews, five days, Monday through Friday, 6 to 8 Pacific Time, 9 to 11 Eastern Time. Remember this Saturday, if you can, to use the hashtag Circus of Books. Tomorrow, all day, Circus of Books, hashtag, we're trying to get that trending, the documentary. And then Sunday, fun day, 3 to 5 this Sunday, stream on my Facebook page or on DJ Ryan Scott Kenny's uh, Facebook page. We're raising money for West Hollywood service workers. Big thank you to my guests today, Carson Jones and Andy Dugan. Follow Carson on Instagram, the Dapper Zookeeper. And Andy Dugan works for Equality Ohio Law. Follow them on Instagram. I appreciate all my guests all this week long, and mostly I appreciate you for listening. If you missed any of our episodes, I hope you'll subscribe in your favorite podcast subscription services. We are on iHeartRadio. We're on Spotify. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts. So many other great ones. Just go ahead and subscribe there. If you like an episode, give us a five-star review. The more reviews we get, the more it gets circulated to other people. And please follow me on Instagram and Twitter, at Left of Straight. It's always spelled L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R and the number eight. On Facebook, it's the Left of Straight Show page. And my personal Facebook page is open to the public to send me a friend request for Scott Fullerton. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. All new Left of Straight episodes. Have a great evening, guys. Bye-bye.